welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Howdy, folks. Thanks for giving me a bit of your time today. This podcast has been the best networking opportunity I've ever had. Because of it, I've met so many interesting people who are each making an impact in our industry. And today's guest is no exception. In turn, I like connecting people in my network. So this week and next, I'm hosting a series of curated cocktail meetings on Zoom, if you haven't had enough of those already. By that, I mean I'm curating the guests, not the cocktails, to connect people I think would enjoy meeting each other. If that kind of thing interests you, send me an email, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com, and I will pull it together. The other way to expand your network is to think of two people who would benefit from listening to Life Science Marketing Radio and share it with them. If you're enjoying this podcast, you probably know two other people who would also enjoy it. Now, let's dive into my conversation with Frank Dolan. Frank Dolan is the CEO and founder of Arsenal Advisors. Arsenal is on a mission to elevate trust, transparency, and effectiveness in the life sciences. Frank, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Chris, great to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. So you are a little, you're very different from most of the guests I've had so far, let's put it that way. So tell folks a little bit about your background so they understand the context of what we're going to talk about today which is that a little bit about that trust issue and then things going on with the pandemic. Yeah. So my background is right out of college, I got hired into the pharmaceutical industry. I spent over 20 years at seven different companies and three of them along the way getting bought out for uh, an incredible uh, amount of, uh, of, of market valuation. And it allowed me an incredible career of having a lot of different commercial positions, sales, marketing, management, commercial leadership, you name it. Uh, and seeing how a lot of companies operate because working for seven different companies, especially those that get bought out and you stay for a while, it has been an incredible masterclass in, in understanding how different organizations work. And even when it comes to having uh, a drug asset that goes from one company to another via buyout and how the other company treats that asset. I feel like I've learned a lot about what people understand about commercialization and pharma. They can have the, the same business challenge and they take two different approaches. And it's really translated for me into uh, creating a company in the last year and a half that was going to focus on taking a very uh, academic and sophisticated approach to creating an atmosphere of, of, of privacy, of courage, of intellectual journey to allow ambitious senior life science executives to ideate together to solve the biggest challenges facing the industry. Because I do think it's been a bit insular and really to be an industry of innovation, you got to have access to really good ideas and really good people. Yeah. So that's interesting. I knew that you had been in several companies. I didn't really think about those situations, which I think you're mentioning is that being at a company, being acquired by another company and staying on to see the difference in the approach for, for those assets. 
Is there, yeah. so now I'm curious because this is the world I don't know as much about. And can you give an example of one of those things just for my education? Yeah. So I do think that um, what I mentioned about you have the same asset, but when it's owned and sold by different companies, based on those companies, let's say rituals or past experience, they kind of have a playbook that they want to run against the asset. Now, for many of these companies, running those plays has brought at least some modicum of success, and, and that's great. Um, but I see a lot of routine and, and where I get concerned sometimes for the industry is that <clears throat> biotech, medtech, and pharma are, are supposed to be these industries of innovation. And I think in the lab, no question, there's a lot of innovation going on. But on the commercialization side, there is a fair amount of old guard thinking. And well, this is the way we've done before, so we're going to do it again. So my example would be, I was a part of a company that had a diabetes portfolio. And I was a part of this company before they had launched their products. We were preparing the organization to go from a research and development company to be a fully blown, fully integrated pharmaceutical organization. And watching the product launch, seeing the evolutions in the marketing message over time, years would go by, we get bought out by a very, very, very large pharmaceutical company out of New Jersey that if you know the life sciences industry, you would know this company if I told you the name, which I'm not. But um, so that said, uh, this organization had a, a procedure on how to create new marketing messages and evolution of the previous message to make things interesting and intriguing and what have you. Well, lo and behold, a couple of the ideas that they had were ideas that our organization had several years prior. And it was a very logical next step. The challenge was we edged ourselves years ago towards that message and it did not work in the marketplace. And so with those experiences, plus more time and more experiences, people like me had a very strong opinion that this new idea that the big pharma had for that brand was, did not have a, a high likelihood of success. And we gave that feedback. And the example concludes with the feedback from that organization, which is, well, this is the way we do market research. This is the way we plan marketing messages. We put this in front of 21 physicians. They all seemed to love it. So we're going to run with it. So maybe it didn't work then, but it's going to work now. And Chris, we rolled that out. And within seven weeks, the entire message and campaign got pulled back. and The old one was reinstalled. Got it. Okay. So that's great. And that answered what was going to be one of my next questions was, are we talking about innovation in products? No, <laughs> we're talking about innovation in processes. Yeah. And so you spend a lot of time now, I think, talking to people and thinking about those things. So let's, let's go into that right now, since, since it's on the table. Yeah. Um, this is part of what you do at the Life Science Leader Summits. That's essentially your mission. And um, talk about what that's what those are like. 
maybe I'll just go back to the beginning when it comes to those, Chris, because I honestly fell backwards into doing this. I had an opportunity, very, very fortunate to, to take a breath uh, in early 2018 from what had been a 20 plus year career, largely being a part of uh, early stage companies that wanted to go commercial. And I really love the work, a lot of fun. And I will also say I'm human. 2017, I had 150 nights logged on the road. And meanwhile, in 2017, back home, I've got you know, an amazing family, wife, and three kids. And those kids aren't getting younger. And when I had that chance to take a breath, I wanted to do it. Well, I think like all of us, we, we are ambitious and there's also a part of the speed and pace of the game that is exciting and, and we enjoy. And so being that we have the benefit of living in the greater Boston area, I decided in my free time or mini retirement or really whatever you want to call what I did, um, I, I decided that I want to get like 35 of my contemporaries in biotech together uh, here in Cambridge, and let's just have like a, like a real academic think tank. Let's just sit there and say, what are six of the biggest problems facing the industry, uh, facing us as leaders? And let's think about how can we share ideas and experiences to come up with at least some sort of formula for attacking these problems better than we had before. Would there be benefit of hanging with smart people have a shared purpose, they're aligned to your values, and you focus on solving difficult problems. Well, by the end of the day, everyone's like, oh my gosh, this was amazing. I never get outside the castle walls. I really only talk to people within my organization, maybe my work group, but I don't always have permission, I feel, to slow down, think about where things are going, share my experience with someone else, have them realize that I've done some really, really cool things that may help them. And it goes round and round and round and people loved it. And so that turned into doing it a second time. So being that this is the life science industry, I really called that my science project. <laughs> and th that science project has turned into the Life Science Leaders Summit, which really is intended to bring in um, a very exclusive private audience of about 35 life science professionals, They've, they, they need to have great backgrounds, they need to work for companies that have very high ethics uh, and great reputation. We're very, very, very particular about who's in that room. And we do it at Harvard, Stanford, and Wharton, um, which I think is appropriate for the level and sophistication of discussion that we have. And it's unlike a conference. I mean, conferences are great. They're, they have their place and, and I appreciate them. I spoke at a lot of the pharma, biotech, industry-related conferences as an unpaid speaker representing my pharma company for about 12 years. And although I appreciated being on stage and having the opportunity to share ideas with my peers, what I found was incomplete was the fact that if I had a presentation, my legal and regulatory group appropriately would really water it down. So no real edgy stuff was being shared. That was number one. And number two, the attendee experience was really more about the thousands of consultants and exhibitors that were there that were really funding the conference. So I want to do something that was private, is exclusive. We're going to solve real challenges um, and we're going to try to move things forward because 
my ultimate goal in the Life Science Leader Summit and just generally what I'm up to is being affected uh, like we all are. God forbid at any point uh, someone is sick, but truly even once a year with a physical, at some point we're all patients. And really my point of view is that if I can play a role in helping to spread cool ideas around and help build a community of people that are going to elevate this industry and accelerate innovation. And that gets a product out the door three months, six months, 12 months earlier and saves or improves a life in particular, if that was me or a loved one, Chris, that's worth it all day long for me. And that fuels me. And I think it's, that, that's what, that's what drives, you know, me getting up at Oh, dark 30. So. Yeah. And now, of course, is the perfect time to think about that because in the past, and you and I had this conversation last week a little bit where you think, oh, I, at some point I might get cancer or diabetes or something else. Now the threat is immediate to everyone. Like we're all going to be exposed to this virus. Many of us will experience nothing. Some of us will experience the worst possible imaginable outcome. And um, and many levels of bad for everyone involved. So now we all hopefully appreciate that. And I think, and then I want to go back to what you're saying about what happens when you get these people in a room. So it's interesting. So I come from the research side of life science, selling tools and instruments and whatever. And it's hard sometimes to get people to talk about what they're doing because they worry about the competition. But my experience at the ACPLS meeting, which is now SAMPS, um, and yours, what you just described, is you get the right people in the room, and they realize they're not giving away any proprietary information, but they all have things to share that will advance the whole industry. And they're surprised at what other people will share. And and the ideas just spiral upward. It's it's pretty phenomenal. I... Uh, I just watched on YouTube this morning a video of just, I'd known about Ray Dalio for a while, but I saw something on LinkedIn the other day, and then now I'm diving deep into all his stuff. And he he talked about, he, he has a 30-minute video on his principles, and the thrust of it for me, and it's no surprise, but he decided to find people who would thoughtfully disagree with him. And to to cover his blind spots and in pursuit of the truth so they could all work together and figure out what was actually the best path. So um, I, I really appreciated that. And I think that's exactly what you're doing. You're getting all these people together who, you know, as somebody recently pointed out, every individual in the world experiences the world from one viewpoint that's their own and they're they only have their own experience which sounds stupidly obvious but there are so many other ways to look at it and like you are the you are the center of everything you experience of naturally and it's important to get those other ideas so i love this so now let's talk about that transparency and trust situation. I feel like we've covered the innovation part. You've described how you're addressing that situation. Talk about the trust issue and specifically who's the target of this trust issue and then who's experiencing it and what is it? Yeah. So something that does 
I think bother a lot of people who are in the life sciences industry is that without requests, the pharmaceutical industry, along with others like the telephone industry, the restaurant industry, the gas and electric utility industry, education industry, the legal field, you name it. Uh, you have organizations like Gallup, for example, that will do surveys and ask the public um, what they, how much they trust them. Do they think that they will do the right thing if no one's looking? And the pharmaceutical industry has really been on a downward trend when it comes to public trust against these other major industries that exist that are rated. And as of uh, the survey done last year, landed for the first time at the very bottom. The least trusted industry in the US is the pharmaceutical industry. That to me is really troubling because I think of even though I see the world uniquely from my point of view, uh, I totally agree with that, that previous um, description of, of things. But I, I also observe all of these other people. And I believe, my perception is that they're trying to do amazing things. These folks wake up to go to the research lab and to try to break through. Uh, they, they're combing through data, looking for nuances uh, and signs that could be really beneficial, that folks are looking for more efficient and effective ways to do things. They're trying to go to uh, healthcare providers and remove that provider's apathy and turn that into action with an opportunity for them to be able to treat patients better, perhaps with their innovation. So I have not met people that would be the type that I would think would be described in making up an industry that is essentially the least trusted out there. Now, there's no question that the pharmaceutical industry, like many other industries, will get a round of bad press because there's a few bad actors. And I think that over the last few years, when it comes to old drugs for very limited audiences being purchased and then going from pennies a pill to hundreds of dollars a pill. That's a bad story. That, those are really hard decisions to, to put your arms around and support. I can certainly understand why, especially if people only learn about the industry through the media that often is hunting for a bigger headline or clickbait can make the industry look pretty bad. But that being said, I think there's a huge opportunity. And, and I think that the opportunity comes in at least two forms. The first is we have to be very conscious as executive leaders on how we're managing our organizations, the decisions that they make, as well as the narrative that we want to share out there uh, in, in the world. We are incredible marketing machines and PR machines and the market cap of so many of these companies in pharma are at multiples that most industries do not have those types of multiples. Well, there's a responsibility of being valued so high. And I think you've got to make sure that you're putting out a, a meaningful message. Um, the, the second thing is, is to make sure that we're, we're operating in a way um, that is going to be able to deliver great value. And there's something about sharing that story. So 
I do think the pharmaceutical industry gets caught up with two things. One is that it's a context heavy story. People don't like context heavy stories. They, they, you know, there's, there's a person in a mask outside a window of a house in the dark with a bat that looks like it's heading towards the window. I mean, it's, it, it's like, okay, well, there's, about, there's a crime that's going to take place. So like, I figured it out. I know exactly what you're going to say. No one wants to hear the context of the pharmaceutical story of taking 10, 20 compounds before you find the one that could get to market. And there's usually clinical trial delays and scientists and clinical centers and uh, trial expenses are in the hundreds of millions of dollars, sometimes billions and this and that, it's like, okay, wah, wah, wah. I don't want to hear it. I just want to know if I'm sick, is there a solution? Let's move on. And with the industry not telling its own story, things are getting lost in context because all people think of is the person in the mask outside the window of the house at night. If I understand what you're saying, I don't think people appreciate what it takes to bring a drug to market that is safe and effective right. and how many, as you say, dozens, maybe more candidates that have to be screened and and the number of people that have to be tested and the number of people involved in those tests and all kinds of things. So yeah, it is a complicated story. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's crazy, crazy stuff. And, and I would say to cap off the previous you know points is like the context of the story, maybe people shouldn't care. Like why, why should they really be that curious on all the backstory of, of getting innovations to market. But I do think we're in a time right now that is causing intrigue to learn more about like, what does it take? And our industry has an opportunity to perhaps elevate the trust level from where it was the last time the survey looked last year based on this situation, because it's become very clear that this is an industry that the world does need. And we do have an area of expertise and we could help, uh, quote unquote, be a part of saving the day. We wouldn't save the day as an industry, but we'd perhaps be part of that thing. And I think that's really exciting. And if there's one takeaway that your C-level executive in biotech and pharma needs to put their arms around in a demonstrated way beyond our history, is that to tell the story of our people and our journey, of our companies, of our innovation, uh, of our employees, people love those stories. You don't have to make, not everything's a product claim. So just because you have yes. a product and you want to sell more of it, that doesn't mean that's the only story you tell. Tell the story of how folks have progressed through their careers and they're making impact, how they had an aha moment, how the company was founded by a, a group of scientists at university. And now fast forward 30 years later, here we are at ABC uh, Biotech. Those stories are amazing. You only have to have any product claims, but that's incredible. And even stories of failures to the point about vaccines. We don't have vaccines for MERS, SARS, AIDS, Ebola, we don't have vaccines for a lot of things. And did we stop working on that as an industry? Did we work on it and have failures? We had a lot of failures, no doubt about it. Those stories are really important to build a sense of familiarity. That way, perhaps the public in the future will say, 
you know, I learned a lot about, I didn't want to learn about vaccine development, but I did when that whole COVID thing happened. And I had no idea what it takes. And by the way, the end of the story was not a success with MERS, for example, but this is what it takes. I had no idea. Thank good they're working on other things and thank goodness they're around because a drug rescue for COVID is probably our closest term uh, opportunity to help improve and save lives and hopefully turn this crisis around. An effective treatment would be amazing. So we've done that with, with hepatitis C. We've done that with AIDS. We've done that with other things. Um, but without that drug rescue, the situation doesn't necessarily have a floor. But guess what industry is going to have that, that rescue uh, in the near term and hopefully is a part of creating that solution of the vaccine long term? That's well put. And I love how you think about all those stories that aren't successful. Because if you make a story about a, a product, that may feel only relevant to people who are interested in that product. But when you back up and you talk about the story of investigating, then people see parallels to that, whether it's exactly about that thing or not. They see parallels in their own life about, oh, this guy's trying to solve a problem and that woman had a breakthrough and then they ran up against this, right? That's, that's the nature of a story that can be interesting regardless of whether you think you're going to be a patient for X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Yeah. And to distribute those stories even through our community, Chris, it could be amazing. If you, if you think about, so I've been in different marketing roles along the way. With being early in the digital marketing game, I was able to be a part of developing some cutting edge marketing programs that were taking advantage of all the progression of information and eyeballs online. So you think about any particular social media post, never mind campaign, that, that, that drops. If you could get a few hundred or a few thousand or, or, or 10,000 or so people to kind of get onto that post or follow that campaign, you're like, huge success. Over time, this is going to snowball and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the message is going to organically grow. It's awesome. It's amazing. Well, with our stories as an industry, if we, if we stop and say, yes, we compete individually as an industry, as companies within pharma, we compete individually. No question, that's not going to change. But as a community, we need to work in a collaborative way. We need to work collectively. And if we did and we shared some of these stories of success and failure that have nothing to do with having marketing messages approved by the FDA or any other entity... And we encouraged our community to post and share that stuff. Think about the hundreds of thousands of people in life sciences that could be a part of propagating a message that's going to get exposed to all of their networks. We've got the most incredible organic marketing machine to spread these messages of, of hope and accomplishment and, and failure and frustration and, and opportunity that just you don't need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads. This could go organically and actually have a more profound effect. Nice. So let's talk about um, 
what you've been doing, I'm curious to hear how your business has shifted since the, the pandemic. So you put on these life science leader summits, they got pushed back to who knows where yet. Maybe, you know, I don't, you started with your 19 day webinar challenge. I'm grateful to have been a part of that. And, uh, how else are you thinking about getting people together? What do you think about doing differently now that we are sitting here on a zoom call? Yeah. Well, so we've had to have a huge pivot. That's, that's the truth uh, of it all. It, it hasn't been easy to, to face. I get a tremendous amount of enjoyment and our team gets a tremendous amount of enjoyment of, of going to, you know, these prestigious universities and hosting uh, these one day events with just some amazing uh, executives are just so grateful for the folks who've been a part of it, which has been great. So to be in, in, in a form of an event business, it is certainly a challenging uh, time. That's, that's for sure. So as far as the pivot is concerned, you know, there's, there's more to us than just the, the summits. And I do believe that there's an element of them that can be virtual. And we are going to do something that is, I think, going to be a, a better attendee experience from a virtual point of view. I think if you take an event, whether it's a conference or even a one-day summit like we do, and you just try to shove that online, I don't think that's a great experience from an attendee's point of view. I just don't. Like people are working from home. You got Amazon delivering your groceries. You got you know, kids and dogs and stuff running around and, 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 and loved ones and friends, and we're all bunkered down and contained. And you can't sit, sit there in front of the laptop and watch and try to virtually participate in something over what would have been eight hours live at Harvard, eight hours in my office. I'm just, I just am not convinced that's a cool experience. So we're going to try to do stuff that's more on demand over a longer period of time and then maybe have it come together at the end of a three, four day period where people can come and go as they want, getting involvement and experience and exposure to different sessions with some sort of um, live event where there's enough people where it's fun and they can connect and network and all that other jazz. Just try to bring home virtually what they would have had if they were uh, kind of on site. So we're, we're, we're mapping that out. I think there's an opportunity there. That's for sure. I wanted to test the idea of uh, having a conversation. I don't think the world is missing presentations. Um, they, we already have enough of them wherever we go, but a dialogue, I, I do. I think dialogues are productive and I think dialogues are, 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 are intellectual. I think presentations are academic. So the idea of having a conversation on the Life Science Leader Lab, that's our, our webinar that we did. I gave myself this COVID-19 challenge for 19 business days. I was going to go live at 8 a.m. Pacific slash 11 a.m. Eastern each workday and have people like you, Chris, kind of come on and like talk about interesting things. And the response has been, been great. I don't know that that's something we want to do forever, but we, we've been doing it. It's turning into now uh, over a month uh, of doing them and we'll, we'll see where it goes. But I think that the idea of uh, getting people together, having conversations, sharing ideas, uh, strengthening each other's values, that there's merit in that. And so we'll, we'll see where it takes us. 
All right. Well, I wish you luck with that. I think what you're doing is fantastic. I want. I just want to say one. I really appreciate your enthusiasm for the industry, like no one else I've ever seen, really. And two, making me feel welcome as part of it. Because I'll tell you, before I met you, the whole biotech world intimidated me to a high degree. And you have made me feel welcome and part of this community. So thank you very much for that. Uh, you're welcome. My pleasure. And of course, thank you for sharing all your insights today and really an inspiring sort of mission. So I wish you well. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for what you're doing. You're bringing us together. And uh, that means a lot. We, we, we need a voice, but we need a platform uh, to project that voice. And you're a part of that, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. As you heard, Frank has been pulling people together to tackle big problems in life science on a scale much larger than anything I've been doing. But I can't help with those stories he was talking about, whether it's podcasts, videos, or text. And don't forget, you can get all three out of a single conversation. I might be able to help. I'll put a link in the show notes to schedule a 15-minute call where we can talk about what stories might help your business. Until next time, be well and keep going. People of Earth are counting on you. No pressure. Bye-bye.